All right, so we're going to continue on uh, in our sermon series on the narrow path um, as we're following Jesus as a community devoted to the person and purposes of Jesus. Uh, he does call us onto this narrow way. So when we're talk, thinking about like following Jesus and New Year's resolutions, and it is the new year, right? We want to start the year off right um, and recommit to following Jesus in 2024, which amazingly enough, and I hope everyone in the room is uh, ready for this, but it is an election year. Yay. Is everyone excited? We're just so excited, right? Uh, even the Lord of the Empire is somewhat like dismayed about that it's a that it's an election year. Um, you know, talking with people, uh, I have heard that politically, socially, it's as contentious as they've seen it in a long time. It's just a tough moment in time. It truly is. Uh, whatever it is that you're experiencing, is there, you're thinking like, is everyone else experiencing this? And the, the answer is yes. I have heard from people that things haven't been this contentious since the 60s and 70s, and that things just seemingly on both the left and the right seem to be going off the rails. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a tough time. Uh, I'm bivocational, and the other job that I do is a uh, therapist, and I was speaking to one of my clients who is very frustrated about all the politics that are going on, um, and the sermon is not about politics. Um, and one of the things that I've come to rest in is, and what I told him is, I, I, you have one vote, and if you're going to allow that one vote to dictate so much of your life, then that's on you. But you literally have one vote. That's what you have, right? And so... To whatever degree you want to allow all of that to control you so that you're sitting by a pond and you're pondering the politics, I mean, it really is up to you. I mean, the one vote, we control very little, but we can control who we vote for, and we can also vote with our feet, meaning our, our actions show our beliefs. Like, what we vote with our feet. Like, what you do with your life demonstrates your values. So when we're thinking about, like, Trump or Biden maybe some other choices, um, I vote that we try following Jesus. Because Jesus is always an option that is there, and he wants us to follow him. And he invites us into a life of discipleship with him, where he is the teacher and I am the student. This is an invitation that we get every single day. Like, vote for, right, we've got politicians, vote for me, I'm going to do this, all these things. Well, Jesus is also inviting us into a relationship with him, a relationship of discipleship, where he is the teacher and I am the student. And so when we think about this, and we're talking about the narrow way, which Jesus invites us onto, meaning the narrow way, meaning that it is a way, but it's also difficult. Um, how are you investing into your relationship with Jesus? So if you've been around the church for any period of time, and if you're new here, this is something that we, values that we have, we call it up, in, and out. And so these values kind of shape the way that we want to use our time, up being growing in Christ, in meaning intentional community, and out 
uh, out with God's love. And so over the next three weeks, we'll be going through this. Um, and another way we might look at it is this, that up is my relationship with the Father, in is my relationship with the church, and out is my missional calling into what God has asked me to participate in outside of the community of uh, God. So um, again, we're going to be looking at this over the next three weeks. Um, and it all starts with up, my devotional life. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why we have intentional community, because we're followers of Jesus. That's why we go out and we do things for people outside of the community, because Jesus has called us into that. And so this idea of a devotional life. For those of you who have been around the church for a long time, this won't be new to you. Um, but when we think about our devotional life, some parts of my devotional life are fun. Some. Not all. And I, I think that um, to have this expectation that every time I do some type of spiritual practice that there's going to be some immediate payoff is essentially just a foolish idea. Um, the church fathers and the church mothers, meaning those individuals who have come before us in the faith in Christianity, which is about 2,000 years old, you know, they call these things disciplines. The things that we participate in are called disciplines, and disciplines are things I do uh, for their benefit. I do something because in the end, it will benefit me, and it applies to my values. The process might be enjoyable, um, but at the same time, not all of it necessarily is. It's for the benefit. So I want to use a couple of other examples of the dis disciplined life leading to benefits, um, because, again, a disciplined life is a good life. Uh, so one example would be, how do you lose weight or stay in shape? This is not a trick question. Uh, the reality is, is that if I want to lose weight or stay in shape, I need to burn more calories than I consume. That's it. It's actually quite simple. It's not a long uh, equation or process. Uh, don't eat junk food and eat quality food, which is mostly fun, right? So when we're making sugar scrubs for our Valentines, we're going to be eating brisket. And brisket is a good food. And that's fun, right? Like eating brisket is fun. Eating good food is fun. And then you exercise. But um, when we think about losing weight, right, it does require discipline, It's okay to laugh in church, like truly. I was thinking about that today, guys, that it really is good to laugh at in church. My wife sent this to me, and I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> and I love bread. Who doesn't love bread? Like, I love bread. I guess gluten-free people, but sorry. Um, I Like, I love bread. Being healthy requires discipline. It truly does. Um, having a good diet requires discipline. What do I want to eat? Like ice cream all the time. Who doesn't want to eat chocolate? Uh, who doesn't want to eat like potato chips? Like I can literally make myself like kind of sick from eating as many potato chips as I want to, but that's not good for me. And so it requires some degree of discipline. So um, again, eating healthy requires di discipline, but the benefits are big. Um, another example is marriage. How do I have a healthy uh, marriage? Again, not, uh, sorry about the slides. It's, is it, I don't think it's, complex. 
How do I have a healthy marriage? Well, I mature as an individual. That's kind of fun, but not really that much fun. Let's be honest. So how do I have a healthy marriage? I mature as an individual. Not me trying to mature my spouse. I mature, right? Um, how do we have a healthy marriage? Uh, you own your issues. That is not fun, but that is beneficial. This is good. Do you think these, right? Like you're seeing this couple, you're like, that's how I want to end up. Well, dude, what they have gone through to get there is tremendous. So much maturity, so much owning their issues, right? It's difficult. Uh, a friend of mine who's planting a church in uh, Bend, Oregon, and by planting a church, I mean just starting a small group of people in a house, and you start a Bible study, and then that grows, and it, and it continues to grow. And so he's planting this church up in Bend, Oregon, and he was telling me he had some people, they were doing the Bible study and hanging out, and <clears throat> he says, after the Bible study, my, my wife comes up to me and she says, hey, hey, I need to talk to you, which is code for you're about to own your issues, right? And so he, his wife pulls him aside and he's telling him, he's like, I know it's going to hurt, but I know she loves me. I know she loves me. I'm like, yes, dude, keep repeating that to yourself. You know she loves you. You know she loves you. Having a healthy marriage requires some degree of discipline. You don't get to do what you always want to do. You have to mature as an individual. You have to own your issues, um, so again, staying in shape has a ton of benefits, feeling better, less medical issues, living a longer life. Having a healthy marriage has benefits. It gives you meaning in your life. It gives you healthy kids. People who are married make more money. People who have a healthy marriage have more benefits. That's a joke. Uh, there's good partnership, and you live a long life. That's good. All those things are really good, right? Eating healthy is good. A good marriage is good. Both require discipline. Following Jesus is really good. Investing into my relationship with God, Jesus, is an excellent investment because it yields benefits now and in the life to come. And investing in my faith is important because life is hard. So, if, right, so we can see that eating healthy is good, uh, healthy marriages are really good, but both are tough, but they both yield really beautiful things. My relationship with Jesus yields fruit and goodness here, now, in the immediate, and in the life to come. This is good. And at the same time, you know, life is, um, can be difficult. I don't know why. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. You're like... Hey, I have a plan. Tell me about your plan. Then you're like, I, this is God's plan. You're like, wow. I had a, uh, one of my friends, he started uh, coming to the church, and he started following Jesus. And we were having this conversation, and he, he, he says, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm following Jesus now. Why is this so hard? I'm like, dude, uh, following Jesus doesn't make life not hard. It just means that you have meaning and companionship through the heart. That's, that's what you have. 
And so this idea that a lot of times with us, we're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to set a goal of a healthy marriage, or I'm going to set a goal of following Jesus. And you're like, I, can, I know where I'm going to put my pin. I see it. Straight line. There are lines in life. Or I had heard once before that man makes roads, like I-5, straight. But God makes rivers. And you're like, hey, God, if you had just really just gone straight there, it would have been so much quicker, man. What were you thinking? But we think along these lines when, in fact, you know, following Jesus is awesome. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, but life is hard. Following Jesus is hard because oftentimes we're like, hmm, didn't see that coming. But he is with us. So what are the benefits of a daily investment in my relationship with God or Jesus? I learn about who God is. Like, who, are, who is God? How do we even have the concept of who God is in our life? Do we just get that from social media? Do we just get that from magazines, right? But when I spend time with him, I get to learn more about who he is. I get to learn about who I am. Who, I, who am I in this story? How do I fit into all of this? Um, who am I in your eyes? I get to discover God's plan for me and for mankind. Like, the things that are going on out there are, uh, God has a plan for all of this. And so how do I, um, when I spend time with him, I get to see God's plan. And that I'm also able to trust uh, God with everything I can't control. Kids, government, nature, life, death. And I think this is a really big one because giving up control is a big part of our worship to God. We all want more of it. And a part of worshiping God is yielding our control uh, to him. Like, God, you are in, char in charge. I want more control because it brings me comfort. The more things I'm in control of, the, less, um, the more safe I feel. Like, everything's within my control. But I can't control everything. I only have one vote, which is my vote. Yet the more time I spend with God, the more I'm able to trust that God is in control. Have you guys ever heard the illustration of letting Jesus take the wheel? You guys all heard that? Well, most, most of you have. Um, well, if I can get the slide to go, I'm not sure why this isn't working today. This is literally Jesus with all the wheels he has taken. Give up the wheel. God's in control. You have one vote. And the things that you think that you're in control of, to be honest, you're really not that in control of them. Let's be honest. Like, we're all aiming for, like, B pluses here in the control world. We are. So how do we give up the wheel? Um, well... It's by growing my relationship with God. And so how do I grow my relationship with God? One of the most tried and true ways of growing my relationship with God is reading scripture on a daily basis, which this might seem like 101, um, but that's perfectly fine because it is so essential for us to engage with scripture to grow our relationship with God. Um, is it always fun? No. It is not. Reading scripture is not always fun. I'm not thinking that I'm at some amusement park 
when I'm engaging with reading the scriptures. But I don't think that God was thinking that it was going to be that way. Is it always profitable? For the most part, yes. Not always. Sometimes I get done reading scripture and I'm like, what did I even read? I feel like I'm a bit more confused than when I started. Like, what? I, I don't totally get. But for the most part, yes. Um, but reading scripture is a practice discipline we see in scripture. We literally see people in scripture dialogue and, 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 and connecting with and reading scripture, which sounds funny. Um, just a couple of examples. Jesus in the Gospels, every time he says it is written, and he would say it is written often, he is essentially referring to the Old Testament, and he's quoting scripture. Here's the thing. He, he's not like saying, hey, it is written, and then he's looking at his iPhone and checking Google. Like, hmm, what was written? Google, what was written? Alexa, what was written? He knew scripture because he read scripture. He engaged with scripture on a regular basis. I mean, again, almost everyone within the scriptures is Jewish. And Jew, one of the things that Jews are so well known for is their rigorous engagement with the Torah, with the Old Testament, with scriptures. They're just known for doing this. Uh, and Jesus would have been no, no different. And so when we look at Paul, who also writes a majority of the New Testament, uh, he writes about how Jesus fulfills scripture or the Old Testament. Yesterday I was reading chapter 9 of Romans, okay? And in chapter 9 of Romans, as you're reading through that, what Paul essentially does, there are 12 references to scriptures within the Old Testament. So I'm reading a chapter of the New Testament where in that, all throughout it, are 12 different like references or quotes to text within the Old Testament because reading scripture for Paul was very important. He's not like, hmm. He's like, hey, chat, chat GBT. Chat GBT. How do I write chapter 9 of Romans? Well, you make 12 references to Old Testament scriptures. No. He was thoroughly engaged with the Old Testament texts because he knew them. I mean, amazingly enough, he probably knew a majority of it, not by heart, but close to it. For real. The book of Revelation Sounds super weird and very scary. It is an interesting book. But when you read that, you just realize that John lifted a ton of stuff from a lot of the minor prophets of Zechariah. Uh, all, I mean, it was just, you read it and you're like, man, this reads like a lot of these old, because it essentially, in many ways, he's doing this. This is not by accident. Jesus is described as the word. So when we think about scripture, God's book, God's word, God's written revelation, it is truly epic. We don't need the epic Bible to tell us that it's epic, but this might be one that you want to read. It just is awesome. Period. Now here's a list of other disciplines or practices, inward disciplines, uh, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, corporate disciplines, confession, worship, guidance, celebration, outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. These are things that we practice as followers of Jesus to help us grow in our faith. Okay? When you go to a new job and they're like, this is the training, we're going to help you to become a better employee, 
um, with <laughs> this is kind of like practices that will help us grow in our faith. So today we're just, again, going to be looking at reading scripture. So we're going to look at Psalm 119 in its entirety. Thank you for those people who actually know that joke. That was good. It's the, like it's so long, it's ridiculous. Okay, so Psalm 119 comes out of the book of Psalms, uh, verses 1 through 16. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, whose walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So Psalms are essentially poems, songs. And what we have in, in Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter of scripture in the entire Old and New Testament, Old Testament it's a love song to God, a love song to God's law, a love song to God's word, to scripture. Like, that's so weird. Okay, might be. But there's something beautiful about uh, God's word, which are awesome. So here are some ideas about scripture that I think are, are really good. First is, the Bible is not a magic book. You won't read it and get saved. Yet, you wouldn't know what getting saved is without it. Two, the Bible is not a magic book. Putting Bible verses on your shield won't save you. Or putting Bible verses on your bumper sticker will not save you from getting into a car accident. You're like, but I had scripture on my car. It should help me. No, that is not what scripture is used for, right? Like old times, they would put scripture on their shields, and they're like, the Lord's word will protect me. No, they probably died. That's not what scripture is used for, okay? Um, The Bible is a weird book. It's straight up weird. If you have engaged with scripture, you're like, this is weird, Okay, why is it weird? Well, there's many different reasons because there's a ton of genres in there, but a perfect God writes through an imperfect man. That's weird. That brings up a lot of philosophical and intellectual conundrums. You're like, how does that work? You're like, well, only with God. Uh, The Bible can be hard to apply to my life. The Bible is an ancient Jewish text. I think we often miss this. Um, we're thinking like, well, it's in English. I should be able to understand it. Yes, this is true. It's in English. You should be able to read it if you have like a high school degree. But how many other ancient texts do you have laying around your house? Zero. Want to know why? Because most of us just don't have like ancient texts lying around our house. You're not going to take the Samaritan stone and put it into English and then think like, this applies to my life. This is, the Bible is an ancient Jewish text. 
One, none of us in here are ancient, even though some of us are aging, right? And two, I don't know of anyone in the room that is either ethnically or culturally Jewish. And if you are, then welcome. We're talking ancient and way cross-cultural. But it's in English, and so you're like, I should be able to understand this, which in certain ways you should be able to. However, the Bible is God's authoritative written word to us, and I think for three big reasons. Uh, one is to reveal himself to us. That's, that's a huge part of what the Bible is for, to, so that God reveals his nature to us. I mean, how do we even know who Yahweh is? How do we even know who Jesus is? Uh, how do we know that he can be trusted? Because it's there in his word, which is in, very important. Otherwise, we're like, who is God? Is he the mountain or the Lemurians that live in the mountain, <laughs> right? Like, who is God? And so the text would tell us who he is. Um, we wouldn't know who he is without it. Uh, scripture reveals his plan for us. He, we know what to expect or what he expects from us in Jesus. And again, how uh, you fit into that plan. Very important. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 110. So there are a lot of verses in this psalm. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet. I mean, here's the thing. Um, when we think about the political polarization that has happened, I think, globally, thank you, social media, um, what is guiding your feet? What is guiding your feet? Your legs, that's good. That's true. When we think about what shapes our worldview, Scripture certainly comes to the forefront of why God has given us Scripture so that it can guide us. So super practical, kind of to wrap it up. Um, how often should I read? And here, here's the reality. And I, I would say, as often as you can, daily. As often as you can, right? Not all the time, uh, but daily. Uh, I've used this example um, more than once, and I'm sure I'll use it again. I read probably 355 days a year, one chapter a day. That's what I read, one chapter. No more, no less. Today, I read Romans chapter 10. It was good. This is awesome. I loved it. Sometimes I read stuff and I'm like, this is super weird, right? But um, one chapter a day, every day, as often as I possibly can. Um, is this a bit rigid to say that you should read scripture every single day? How often should I eat? Is it rigid to think that I should eat every day? That's weird. Does that seem legalistic? How often should I speak with my wife and kids? Yeah, that seems pretty legalistic to have to do that every day. Um, how often should I interact with God via scripture every day? 
I'm not sure why when we think about our relationship with God, all of a sudden we start thinking in terms of like legalistic and not legalistic. You do things every single day legalistically. But you like them, so you don't think of them in terms of being legalistic. Habits are good. Habits can be bad. Um, the other thing I think when we're saying like read a chapter a day, we also live in a very religiously relaxed culture. <laughs> this is very true. Uh, the Vineyard, which is the, you know, the denomination that we're a part of, is also not it's religiously relaxed. The, in Jesus' day, um, the Jews, again, I mean, if you want to be a part of a group of people that's like rigid, and I think for good reason, Jewish, the Jewish religion is like, Ritualistic, which I'm not saying is bad. I'm, I'm happy I'm not. But the Jews would pray every day at 9, noon, and 3. Every day. They probably still do that to this day. At 9 o'clock, they would try and go to the temple or they would pray. At noon, they would go to the temple or just pray where they're at. And then 3 o'clock. So it's what they did. Because the reason that we do this, why do we say every day? Because life gets distracting and important things start to press in on us. And then we see our value shifting, not towards what I want to do, but what other people want me to do and all these outside pressures. You have one vote. You get to choose how you use your time. It's not religious rigidity. Um, again, an example of this, which is super simple. Do you kiss your spouse before you leave the house? idealistically and the answer to that is yes that's not legalism that's you guys have just set up a rhythm of life before before my wife leaves I'm all bye honey it's just a habit that we've put into place in our life that helps us to remind us of the things that we value and that are important to us reading scripture every single morning is a good thing um some people read it at night I don't um Okay, what if I don't feel like reading scripture? Okay, that's important. I understand that. What if you feel like eating ice cream or fast food all the time? What if you feel like running away from your family? What if you don't want to own your own issues with your family? Here's the thing with feelings. Feelings are indicators. They are, are not um, my master. They indicate things to me, right? That's what they do. Here's a, here's a story from my own life. Um, in my house, we got into a huge fight one night. Like, no joke. It's probably the for my children, it was probably the biggest fight they've ever, blow up they've seen. Which, for me, growing up, I was like, yo, this is pretty normal. Um, but to my kids, they're like, wow, this is huge. So I was playing a video game like a grown man. And then my kids wanted to watch a movie, and I didn't want to watch it. And so then me and my oldest daughter got into this big old shouting match and just blew up. And my wife is like freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's screaming and yelling. So it's all bad. So then I go outside. I spend some time by myself. And I come back into the house. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do, man. Do I feel like owning my issues? I do not. Feelings are indicators. They are not my master. Feelings are indicating to me that something's wrong because something is wrong. But what I do is I do the right thing. 
What's the right thing? I own my issues. Do I feel like owning my issues? I do not. And so I apologize to my children. And they all said, thanks, Dad. No, they didn't. You want to know what they said? They said, you don't mean it. I said, okay, well, that makes me feel another way. You, you don't mean what you're saying. I'm like, I'm just trying to do the right thing here. But if I feel like not engaging with God, okay, then feel that way. That's fine. I, another saying that I've heard is, I, I act my way into feelings. I don't feel my way into acting. I don't feel like going to the gym. I feel like eating ice cream. I feel like staring at this woman for way longer than I should be. I feel like cussing out this guy that's driving in front of me. Okay, that's cool. You can feel all those ways. But I have the ability to do things in spite of my feelings sometimes. And my feelings are not always correct. Because when my kids are like, you're not sorry, the feelings I was having were counterproductive. So, I choose to read God's word as a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path every day. Do I kiss my wife before she leaves the house? Every day. Do I, do I hang out with God? Every day. What should I read? This is really good, okay? What should you read? That's great. So, here's the thing. Like, there was a council of Nicaea long time ago. Long time ago. Like, in the year 300. They've already helped us out with all of this. Okay? They've organized the New Testament very easily. One is the Gospels, which if I were to summarize it, what they're trying to communicate is Jesus is cool. Literally. Then the book of Acts. Church is cool. Like, look at all the cool things the church is doing. Then we have the epistles. Church is weird and filled with people. And here's the inner workings of people. And it's weird and messy but beautiful at the same time. And then you have the apocalyptic stuff, which is super cool, because you're like, yes, this seems wild. Okay, so where should you start? Well, where the New Testament starts, one of the Gospels. Um, at my rehab that I work at, um, some of the guys are like, oh, I'm going to start from the beginning of the Bible. I'm like, don't do that. You'll get so bogged down because it's so boring. You'll get into the law, and you'll be like, I feel like this is stealing my relationship from God right now. Get into Leviticus, you're like, this is hurting our relationship, God. This is so hard, <laughs> but you can get through it. Um, but just, here's the thing, like, this is no joke. Like, dude, when things get boring and you're reading scripture, just move on. Like, this is so boring. Like, just go somewhere else then. And then come back, revisit that, right? Like, you re read a chapter of Leviticus every once in a while, and you're like, I made it through it, just not all at one time. Um, I want to close the Bible and feel connected to God, not like some religious like, uh, achievement I've done. I read a scripture, I've read one chapter a day. God loves you no matter what. I want to feel connected to God. That is the goal. Um, all right, so up, in, and out. Everything starts with our relationship with God. Scripture is God's authoritative text to us. A tried, true way of growing in my faith. That's what I'm talking about is reading scripture every single day, one chapter, at least 355 days out of the year. It is not rocket science. Look at this little dude right here. See that right there? He's doing it. 
Does God love him more than you? No, he doesn't. But does he maybe know God's love more than you? Maybe, because he's reading. All right, we're going to take communion. Communion is something that we do every single Sunday. Communion is um, it's the sign of the covenant that God has given us after Jesus. Another sign of a covenant is a wedding ring. This wedding ring uh, cost me $3 or $4 at a secondhand store in Chico. But the value of this ring is not in how much it costs. And it's in what it symbolizes. And I've been married for 23 plus years, right? And I love my wife. That's what it symbolizes. This is a sign, this is a covenantal sign. This is the covenantal sign that Jesus has left us. That the crackers represent his body which was broken for us. Meaning that all mankind is under the curse of sin. Therefore, one who was without sin came down and allowed his body to be broken to pay the penalty of my sin and your sin. The wine represents his blood, which was poured out for us, which washes us of all of our sin. And as we stand before the throne of God right now, and we stand before in his presence, that God sees us as he sees his son, because we are washed in the blood, which, again, is kind of weird, but I didn't make the rules. It's in the Bible. And it's good. The reason that it is bread and wine, bread and fruit, essentially, is that the kingdom of God is represented by everyday household things because the kingdom of God is meant to be an everyday household thing. The reason that I ingest it is because Christ is within me. He is inside of me. The kingdom of God is inside of me. The reason that I do it on a regular basis is because I forget and I need it often. So, if you would like to come forward and take communion, the way that we do this is that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you would like to start following Jesus today, then the communion table is open to you. The way that we do it is you come down the center aisle like this, you take a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, then you take it back to your seat going around the outside so we have a flow like this, and then we'll all partake together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward.
Hmm. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself through your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet. Jesus, we also thank you that you came down into a world that you created to be rejected by those whom you created to give us salvation, to allow us to be a part of the resurrection of the dead with you. And that the things that we get out of this relationship benefit us here and in the life to come. Thank you for what you've done. Let's partake. All right, why don't we stand and do a couple of things here. One is um, there is going to be a potluck downstairs right after the service. If you want to come and join us, that'd be great. If you didn't bring any food, no one will notice. There's plenty of food downstairs. Please come and hang out and eat with us. Um, if you didn't want prayer for anything, then we'll, a couple of folks will be up here uh, after I pray for us in general. I'd love to lay hands on you, agree in, with, in prayer with you. Anything that you're wrestling with, we'd love to join with you in prayer. Um, then I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over us right now. Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to gather. We thank you for the gift of the church, brothers and sisters, to be able to journey with. We thank you for your presence. We know that you're here, whether we can feel it or not. We know that you are with us. We know that you love us each and every one of us. Each and every one of us is your favorite, Lord. Help us to experience you more. Holy Spirit, we ask that we would tangibly be able to feel you, uh, to hear you, to see you, that you would help us to know how loved we are and help us to be able to love others in a very meaningful and practical way. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.